Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm going to ask that you do what only you can do, and that's to change our lives yet again during this time. Father, I want to say thank you that you're for us, you're not against us, and even when you bring very hard words to us that we don't necessarily want to receive, it is for our good. And the mirror of your word is never intended to destroy us, but intended to save us. Save us first into a relationship and then save us into intimacy. So Father, I'm asking that you have your way. You know my heart and you know that this message is not an easy one to give. And it's even harder to receive. So Lord, glorify your name. I ask that if I do say anything that's not of you, that you would in mercy not have us hear it. But if it is from you that it would be fully received as your word, not the words of man, and that you would let it sink into our hearts where we cannot resume life as normal at Yosemite without responding to what you say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Though maybe I would like to give some illustrations and start with some pleasantries, I just want to tell you straight out this message is not going to be what we call pleasant. Not pleasant to our ears, but I believe it'll be incredibly profitable. We started out by seeing uh, one aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is faith in his person in John chapter 2. And then yesterday we moved on to seeing faith in his perspective of us as we saw the man at the well ready to receive this dear woman. But now we want to turn in our Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and I want us to see faith in his pardon. Faith in his pardon. We're going to dive into the first, uh, well, verses 2 through 11. So not the first 11 verses, 2 through 11. And we're going to see a story about God's pardon in a very practical way. But before we do, I feel it's only fair to you all to let you know what God's placed in my mind before sharing with you. Because I have an image in my mind of you all. And I want you to know what I'm seeing when I'm walking around, because I just feel it's fair. I, I, I see that a lot of you have these very, very bold, large shackles on your ankles. I'm talking it's big. And you're shackled to something which is keeping you from moving very far from the object you're shackled to. Please don't miss this. Now, this is the crazy part about the whole thing I'm seeing as I'm walking around. You know what you hold in your hand? The key. But you're actually choosing, as as followers of Jesus, I mean, you come attend conferences at Yosemite when you could be doing other things with your vacation and your money. But you're choosing to keep the key and keep the shackle and go on with life as normal. I want to challenge you that in the next 37 minutes, life is going to change. But you're either going to realize you're a prisoner by choice or you're going to experience freedom like you have never felt. I'm not being melodramatic. The choice is going to be yours. And it's wild. And we're going to see it all come out of this John chapter 8 passage and we're going to see Jesus Teach us some principles on pardon, on forgiveness that maybe we really have not experienced. 
So let's go to the Word of God and let's read it very carefully. I'm going to do a little different here. I want to read it in portions and break it down all the way to the end. And then we'll walk back to the beginning and we'll look at the practical implications of it. So uh, I'll break it up into four sections here. And let's start in verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again, that's Jesus, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? All right. First thing, taking notes, the case. The case. This is the court case. This is what's going on. What is the case? Well, it's quite obvious, right? We've got a woman. She's caught in the act of adultery. Now, it's not just that she was suggested she committed adultery. It says she was caught in the act of adultery. I need us to write down a few things here because we got to process this right in order for the implications and the conclusion to be clear as well. So, we know, I, I, you guys could go, in, okay, it takes two to commit adultery. I get that. That's obvious. Yes. We're not focusing there. You're right. There's a dude involved. The case is this. She was caught in the act. Is she guilty? Yes or no? Yes. We have to understand. Don't negotiate the case. Don't try to push the blame off on the other dude. This woman is guilty. This is the case. She's caught in the act. She's guilty. The law of Moses says she must be stoned. Let's just all get this in our mind. This woman, and it sounds terrible, this woman deserves to have rocks thrown at her until she bleeds out and dies on the spot. She's guilty. That's according to the law of Moses. That's not negotiated. So Jesus, what do you say? All right. The second thing, there's confusion. Why is there confusion? Well, let's let's talk about why there's confusion. This is not the only time in the Gospels we see this type of confusion. For instance, uh, in Mark chapter 12, we have a similar crisis in that sense. And that is that we have got the Herodians and the Pharisees, and they're trying to trap Jesus. This story is really not so much about the woman. It's more about Jesus. They're they're coming to Jesus, not because they care about justice. They don't really care that much. If they did, they would have brought both parties. They caught them in the act, so they know who the other guy is. That's not the point. The point is, they want to trap Jesus. There's confusion going on. Well, what's the confusion? Here's the confusion. Who's who's ruling the world or that part of the world at that time? The Romans, right? It's a Roman Empire, part of the Roman Empire. So, in that light, here's the deal. Does the law of Moses say she should die? Yes or no? Yes, okay. So, if Jesus is going to adhere to the law of Moses, he must say, she's got to die. If he says that, now they're going to kind of bring out this idea, most likely, that Christ is not the image that everybody sees of him. This merciful, this loving God, this one who heals. No, now he's the one stoning a woman in public. Okay. How about option number two? What if he says, or if he says, go ahead and stone her, 
here's the issue. The Romans prohibited that Jews ever carry out the death penalty. Got this? So if Jesus says stone her, well, the Romans are going to come after Jesus and say, you just performed illegal activity. They caught him. But now let's suggest the other. What if Jesus says, don't stone her? What's he disobeying? The law of Moses. So clearly he is not the Messiah. Do you see the trap here? He's either not going to be the Messiah or else Rome's got to kill him. One or the other. They've got Jesus trapped, so they think. So we have the case, she's guilty. We have the confusion. Either the Romans are going to kill him or else the Jews are going to reject him. One or the other. Well, let's move on. Now we get to the climax of the story. Watch what happens. Verse 6. This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him towards the Romans. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, that's awkward, right? Because it's like they just asked him this huge question and Jesus, completely, seemingly ignoring what they asked him, gets on the ground and starts drawing in the dirt. Like, Jesus, we just asked you a question. Like, what's the answer? Why are you drawing? What happens next? Look what it says. Verse 7. They continue to ask him. So what does he do? He stood up. He said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then once more, he gets down on the ground and he starts drawing again. And then what happens? We're going to see one by one, beginning with the older ones, they start to walk away. All right, pause, pause, pause. Climax here. When Jesus is on the ground writing... Another thing that I find a lot of commentators or, or preachers will talk about, which we're going to skip today, is what did he write? We don't know. If God wanted us to know, he would have let us know. Speculation is a waste of time currently because I have about 30 minutes left. So skip the speculation. Let me tell you what is significant here. Notice what writes on the ground. It says, he wrote with his finger. Oh, that's essential though. That part's important. Well, why is it so important? Well, I don't know what he wrote, but I'll tell you something about that finger. The finger that's writing, that phrase is also used when you go back to Exodus chapter 31. When the Ten Commandments and the law were penned into stone on Sinai, it says it was written with the finger of God. All I know is the finger that was writing in the sand. By the way, the only time we see Jesus writing, when that finger was writing in the sand, it's the same finger that penned the very law into existence so we know that whatever is going to come in this climatic climax of the story is going to be from the same source now there's some other imagery here that i'm skipping right now because we'll come back to it later but this is the climax going so then it says they went away one by one in verse nine beginning with the older ones and jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him so what happens Jesus stood up and he said to her, I love this woman, where are they? Has, has no one condemned you? Look what she says. Verse 11. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. 
Now, this might, uh, I might have to leave you hanging for a little while here, but I want you to pull out a few pictures of the gospel before we get into the implications of the gospel. So all this is groundwork, okay? If you're like, all right, I'm not getting the big point yet. Don't worry, you're going to get it. It's going to be so clear to every one of our minds. But notice what happens here. We see Jesus Christ stand up. That phrase stood up is used in verse 7, and it's used in verse 10. That is not the only time we see this phrase stand up used in relation to Jesus Christ. Let me give you another example of Jesus standing up and see if you can pick up the lingo, all right? John chapter 3, verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man, what? Be lifted up. Jesus lifted himself up. Hang on. Do you get the picture coming on here? Now, when Jesus stands up, when he lifts himself up, what happens? There is one person in the crowd that could have stoned that woman completely legally, completely justly, and there would be no sin involved. And that is the one who was without sin. And so when Jesus stands up, he says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. Now, they just got rid of all the fakes, but there's still one left. Then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. What just happened? Because did Jesus just break the law of Moses? Did he just completely violate its standards? No, this is where we see God as the just and the justifier of the one who believes. You see, wait, 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 let's go, uh, think in John chapter 12 or 11 with the story of Lazarus. When Jesus says to Lazarus, come out, what was Jesus doing? Because it says the wages of sin is death. Sin deserves its wages, right? And the wages is death. That means that when Jesus robbed the grave, he was a thief. Well, hang on, not if he's going to pay him back. Same thing's happening here. What Jesus does when he says, neither do I condemn you, you've got to see he lifted himself up before that woman and said, I don't condemn you because he was going to be lifted up and condemned for her in just a little while. Now, what we understand here is the whole premise basis of forgiveness. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. When I'm talking about shackles on our ankles, I want to talk about something I feel, and, and when I say I feel, I, I believe this from the word of God, and I'll give a lot of reason as to that. But when I look at the heart of God, I'm not sure I see a sin so despicable in the eyes of Jesus Christ as unforgiveness. And when I say unforgiveness, I'm not talking about the small things. I'm not talking about the big things. I'm talking about all things. Let me say even stronger than this. If you harbor any unforgiveness in your life, you do not understand the love of Calvary. And you most definitely do not understand your own condition. I didn't say you're not saved, but clearly you need to be saved from something else this morning, like my brother Scott shared at his testimony last night. 
So why do we say this? Look at when Jesus gets into the, uh, gets to ask by his disciples about prayer, right? And he teaches them to pray. He gives this beautiful uh, prayer, example prayer in Matthew 6, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're, you guys know it. It even says that we're to forgive others our, their trespasses as we all, or uh, forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who trespass against us. We know that. But you know like when you pray, and you like pray about a lot of stuff. Like this morning, we were praying for that precious little boy named Max, right? And then what happens? We prayed about a lot of things. But then as soon as we ended our prayer, we started talking about Max. Well, it wasn't that I didn't care about all the other things we said in prayer. It's that when we ended our prayer, our thoughts were still on Max. All right, hang on. When Jesus ends that so-called Lord's Prayer, do you know what he immediately starts to talk about with his disciples? Forgiveness. He says, oh yeah, and uh, if you don't forgive others, your Heavenly Father is not going to forgive you either. Why? What we get to is the heart of God is never about what we deserve. Going back to that woman, did she deserve to die? Yes! Okay, let, let's get this. In your life, eliminate the whole idea that you ever forgive because somebody deserves to be forgiven. It has nothing to do with it, nothing at all. I want to talk about practical forgiveness this morning in the light of God's word, in the light of this story. Now, why ultimately did others drop their stones? Well, they dropped their stones not by looking at the woman. They dropped their stones by looking at their own life, right? And recognizing they didn't have that right. Now, this is not going to be a message of stop judging others. No. In fact, let me give you good news. You've already been judged and you're guilty and you deserve hell. You say, that's not good news. Well, I'm not done with the sentence. But God, in his rich love for you, sent the Lord Jesus Christ to fully pay. Now, hang on. Hang on. What we've got to understand here is this has nothing to do about anybody deserving anything. Everything's going to come back to the cross of Calvary. We're going to realize that we drop our stones and it has nothing to do with the person that we're forgiving. Let me say it like this, and I just said it, but I want you to write it down, and I want you to stare at it. And in fact, I'll let you stare at it for 20 seconds without me talking. Forgiveness has nothing to do with the person you're forgiving. And I'd like you to underline the word nothing. Write it down. Forgiveness has nothing to do with the person you're forgiving. Stare at it. It has everything to do with how you've been forgiven. When you forgive people in the light of what you deem them deserving of, I want to get all the way back to Genesis 3 in your mind. Please think through this. What was the first sin that really entered the world? We can say pride. You're right. We can always debate on what is the first. I'm just giving you one aspect of the first sin. It's not, it's got so many facets. But what was one aspect of the pride that Eve exhibited in the Garden of Eden? It's this. She tried to play God. When we refuse to forgive, we are taking God's place. That's not your role. Who made you a judge over the world? We've already been judged. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. They've already been condemned, right? But that the world through me might be saved. This is not about condemnation. You're guilty. And you're guilty. And you are too. And yeah, you are too. And I am as well. That's not the point. 
I'm not talking about who's guilty here. I'm talking about a savior. And get this, get it, get it. When you forgive, when a person has no reason to be forgiven, you preach the gospel with your life. The world needs a lot more of the gospel being preached with our life. And get this, when you're wronged, say, yes, this is my chance to share the gospel. You're forgiven. Now you say, I don't understand what that means. Okay, don't worry, we're going to talk about forgiveness. Because I don't think forgiveness means what you think it means. Kind of like, you know, Princess Bride. You keep saying that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. I don't think forgiveness means what you think it means. I really don't. Not based on the word of God. Let's first go back in our minds to Matthew chapter 18. You've got the story of Peter, right? And uh, you're welcome to turn there because we're going to be there a little bit later on again. But in Matthew 18, when you come down to verse, uh, I want to say 21, but we'll verify here. Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter comes up to Jesus. He asked Jesus a question. Now, here's his question. It's a good question. He said, okay, okay, okay. I know. I'm supposed to forgive. I get that. So, how many times should I forgive my brother? Now, what does Jesus not say? We know what he says. We've read it. We read the Bible. But no, no, no. Look at what Jesus doesn't say, because that's powerful. He doesn't say, well, um, that's a great question, Peter, but... uh." what did your brother do to you? Because that's going to impact how many times you should forgive him. I mean, did it really hurt? Was it super deep? Has it been ugly? Did it affect your reputation? Did it ruin your career? Were you falsely accused? Were you abused? Were you assaulted? Were you robbed? Was it a Christian or not? None of that is asked. When Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Jesus says straight out to him. I'm going to say in my own words, you can see the seven times 70. One more time. Always one more time. As many times as he's done it, one more time. Should I give him another chance? Absolutely. Now, what we realize about forgiveness is forgiveness has nothing to do with the person we're forgiving. Did they drop those stones because she didn't deserve to die? No, she deserved to die. All right, let's take another example. When you get to Luke chapter 23, you see the man lifted up, Jesus Christ. He's lifted up on a cross. And as he's on the cross, he's got mockers and scoffers coming and saying, you saved yourself. Yeah, I mean, you you saved others. You saved like uh, people that were dead. You like raised, uh, you raised the lame to walk again. You caused the blind to see. Lepers were cleansed. You can't even save yourself. You are pathetic. And then, oh, if God will accept you, then uh, surely he would spare you from what you're going through. And what does Jesus say about them? This is amazing. He says, Father. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. When Jesus says, Father, who's he talking to? You're like, that's obvious. No, it's not obvious. Because sometimes we think he's talking to the crowd. He's talking to his father in heaven. He says, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Pause. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer quickly in your mind. Nobody answer out loud, but just think. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, were they forgiven? I want to suggest to you, no. You say, whoa, whoa, but Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's a very different prayer than when Jesus heals somebody by their faith and says, your faith has made you well. You've been forgiven of your sin. That's different. 
When Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, I want to suggest to you, they were not forgiven, but they were offered the full opportunity to be forgiven. Jesus is saying, forgive them because I am bearing every one of their sins on the tree. I am paying for all their adultery. I am paying for all their gossip, for all their slander, for all their unforgiveness. This is what I'm dying for, Father. And soon I'm going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm going to take separation from the intimacy with you so that they can forever be united with you and never taste a drop of eternity without your presence. Listen, you'll never understand God's love for you if you believe on Jesus. You say, that's weird to say. If I believe on, I think souls in hell will know God's love more than us. You say, whoa, what? They're going to taste what Jesus died for. I know, you could flip it around and you're right to. I just want you to think about that. You'll never know how much God loved you because you'll never taste what it cost for him to forgive you. And I'm afraid we forget that on a daily basis when we choose to harbor bitterness. We're saying, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not accepting the reality of Calvary. Yeah, you might accept the forgiveness of Calvary, but not the reality, not the power they're in, not what the implications are for our life. Father, forgive them. Now, what do they have to do? He's saying, look, I've done everything for their forgiveness, but now what do they have to do? They have to go to the Father and say, forgive me on the basis of Jesus. I need to be saved. That's salvation. Salvation is me going to God the Father and saying, I deserve to die, I'm a sinner. But God sent his son. He paid for me on the basis of the blood of Jesus, forgive me. And will God ever reject that? Never. He is pleased that in his son we may have life and life eternal. Listen, if first forgiveness has nothing to do with the person you're forgiving, let me tell you something else about forgiveness. This is going to free some of you. Forgiveness is not saying it does not hurt. It might hurt for the rest of your life. So when you forgive, you're not saying it's not painful. When you forgive, listen, you're not sweeping it under the rug and saying it doesn't matter. It does. It matters so much. Jesus died. Don't say that. It does matter. I, I get it. We're aching. We live in a world where it's like we have been seriously offended and hurt. I, I'm not negating that. And I'm not even asking you to forget it. Forgiveness is not just a forgetting process. Forgiveness is a handing over process. Forgiveness is an acknowledging I am not the judge but there is a judge. And that judge, you will stand before on the last day. And I'm letting you know, I let you go because God paid for me to let you go. But please be reconciled to God. For he who knew no sin became sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the beauty of forgiveness. It has nothing to do with what you can do. It's what God's already done for you. And all I'm doing is I'm looking at Calvary. I'm saying, oh yeah, you offended me. Go before God for me. I can't hold anything against you. I know what God's done for me. You're free. But go, you gotta, you gotta be reconciled to him. When we live that kind of way, you really think the gospel's not gonna be preached in your life? 
You really think that's not an opportunity for the love of Calvary, the truth of Calvary to shine through in you? Step off the throne. Step off the judgment seat and recognize there is one. There is one who ultimately stands, not only ready to be our advocate, but there's one before him that will judge all sin. But the good news is this, he has judged all sin. That's why Jesus can say, neither do I condemn you. Let me ask you, have you gotten your eyes off of Calvary? And are you looking at people? Are you so focused on the pain and hurt that you're forgetting what your Savior went through so that others can taste that love. In fact, allow me again to suggest that maybe the very thing you wish never had happened to you could be your greatest opportunity to preach the gospel. The very pain that you wish you would never have to remember could be the very conduit through which people say, that's not normal. Tell me about the love you received because how can you let me go in the light of that? He says, because somebody else paid for everything for me. Go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Look at this story. And if this story is not sobering for you, this is coming from the mouth of Jesus. If it's not sobering for you, I'm going to guess you're taking a nap right now. Or you're totally not paying attention. This is coming from the mouth of Jesus. Do not take it lightly. You shouldn't take any of the word of God lightly. It's all come from the mouth of God. What I'm saying is he says this in the light of forgiveness. Watch what happens. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. He gives you a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I, I just want to pause. I wonder if God's saying this to some of us today. You wicked servant. You're really holding that against somebody when I forgave you everything? Seriously? You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers or the torturers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. Now, now, I don't think we recognize the incredible discrepancy before, between what, what he owed 
and what he charged someone else with. I looked up how much it would be in today's terms. If those 10,000 talents were gold, it would be about $15.5 billion. That's how much he owed. If it's silver, all right, you're going way down, but you're still in the millions. If it's 20 years salary, which some people say that's what 20,000 talents would be. If it's 20 years salary, we're still talking like $1.5 million. Do you know how much 100 denarii is if you make $80,000 a year? It's about $21,000. Try that out. $15.5 billion to $21,000. There's a bit of a difference. He would not forgive someone $21,000 when he owed $15.5 billion. Listen, I deserve eternity damned in hell. That's what I deserve for my sin. That's what the word of God teaches me. The wages of sin is death and not just temporary death, eternal death. That's what the word of God tells me and I dare believe it. That's what God forgave me. And if God forgave me with that kind of forgiveness and love, and my brother, even if maybe he doesn't ask for that forgiveness, did, did, did the people on the cross ask Jesus to forgive them? I don't think so. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I, I hear this all the time in the church. You can't forgive until they ask you for forgiveness. Forgive. If your brother has something against you, go first to your brother and be reconciled. I know a bit of a different context, but the point of priority is the same. We must respond to the cross. Those shackles are on our ankles, but I'm telling you, you have the key. And the key is not to feel better about it. The key is not to rationalize. Listen, the people that wronged you are guilty and deserve to die. You're like, that is bold. It's true. Skip that part. You know that's true. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying they're right. I'm not saying they didn't wrong you. Yes, and so do you. If we want a church that will run freely, if we want to see our local churches thrive, if we want to see the Lord Jesus glorified and preached through our life, you will be shackled until the day you forgive solely on the basis of Calvary and has nothing to do with anything anyone's ever done to you. This woman had the stones all dropped around her. I can just imagine there she is in the middle of all of them. And plop, 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 plop. She just hears the stones falling and a little bit of dust rising. And then Jesus stands. Guys, there's going to come a day when I'm going to stand before God Almighty. And he's going to look at me. And let me tell you about this day. Back when I lived in the Middle East, there was arrest warrants delivered to me at my place of work. And I knew where they were coming from. They were coming from a man who had a vendetta against me. He wanted me arrested. He wanted me to disappear. And so I was coaching swimming, like we've been talking about quite a bit. I was coaching swimming. And as I'm coaching, I'm getting these literally envelopes with arrest warrants from the police station delivered to me. And so I realized after my second one, my lawyer was like, you've got to go turn yourself into the police. I didn't know what I did, but I went to turn myself in. And after turning myself in, the chief of police in that office in the Middle East, he said, I don't know what you're here for, but we'll check the computers and see if you're, if you're accused of anything. So he sent it to one of his aides in the back, and he and I had a cup of tea together. And after 20 minutes, they brought a little slip of paper out, and they handed it to the chief of police. Now, you think I wasn't nervous? He looks at the 
slip of paper, and he looks at me. He says, not only are you not guilty of anything, he says, there's no record against you on our system. Listen, I'm going to stand before the Almighty God one day, and he's going to look at me with my $15.5 billion debt of sin. He's going to say, Nathan, you're not, you're not just forgiven. That's good. But in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I'm blameless. That means he's going to look at me and say, you're not just forgiven. Uh, there's, there's nothing even against you on the account. It's not even an accusation because Christ took all that. The stones were dropped and neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. How can I? Uh, a man of temporary life, a man of uh, mortal character, a man who barely even exists in the realm of time. How can I hold anything against anyone, regardless of what they did? Because I've been forgiven by God, and I'm righteous, and I'm His, and He is mine. May we be a church that forgives only on the basis of one thing. Christ has forgiven me. Let's pray. Oh God, may we take that key and reach down to our ankles right now and just unlock that chain. Not because we feel any better. Not because it hurts any less. Not because people deserve forgiveness anymore. But because right now our eyes have been lifted up to look at our Savior. And on that center cross, he says, I've done all that's, all that's necessary for your salvation. Lord, I pray for freedom in this crowd today. Lord, if there's any roots of bitterness, if there are any roots of unforgiveness, if there's any phone calls that need to be made, text messages that need to be sent, tears that need to be shed on someone's shoulder, hugs that need to be given, letters that need to be written, God, would you let that happen today? We don't want to be doers of the word, or we don't just hearers of the word only, but doers as well. We don't want to look into the mirror and then forget what we saw. Teach us to forgive as we've been forgiven. Not to be saved, but that we might show the world the salvation we've tasted. Thank you that my, for, my forgiveness I received at Calvary is not based on what I could do. It's based on what Jesus did for me. But because I've been forgiven, oh, may I always forgive quickly that the world might quickly see the cross of Calvary and not my wretched flesh. Lord, thank you for your word. May we obey. For Jesus' glory, and in his name I pray. Amen.